Each week, our big theme is God, okay? That's what we're thinking about this week, from Genesis chapter 1 to chapter 3. And um, we've already just acted out some creation myths, haven't we? And um, I reckon, lots of people reckon that you can kind of choose whichever creation myth you want to believe in. Um, maybe you think it's some of the ones we looked at today. Maybe it's the Bible account. Maybe it's the one in Islam. Maybe it's just, you know, you believe in atheistic view of the world. We all came from one bit of stuff that exploded and made everything. And um, people often think about God and how the world came to be. It's a bit like a buffet. You sort of turn up, um, you know, you pick up what you want. Maybe you like cheese and pineapple on a stick. I like cheese and pineapple on a stick. You think, well, I like that bit. I'll go for that. So I'll go for, kind of, I'll go for the kind of tea mat and Marduk having a fight and being split, ripping Tiamat in two to make the sky and the earth. Maybe you like that. They say cheese and pineapple on a stick for you. Or maybe you're more into sign of sausage on a stick. I love sausage on a stick. What is it about putting food on a stick that make it, makes it taste better? I don't know. But you think, oh, well, I don't know, maybe for me, I'm, I, believe in, I believe in Allah. Maybe that's the God for you. You can just kind of believe what you want. It's a buffet, basically. Um, that's what many people think in our world about God and religion. You just sort of take your pick, help yourself, choose what you want. It doesn't matter. You know, who's to say that cheese and pineapple on a stick is better or worse than an egg and cress sandwich at the end of the day? You can believe what you want. It's up to you. Who's to say which one's best? It doesn't matter. It's just personal choice. Um, but we're going to look at Genesis 1-3 to this morning. and We're going to see it does matter. And it's not just a case of personal choice. Um, my first point this morning is quite simple. Um, but I hope it makes the point. God is God. Okay? God is God. And um, just look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. It says, in the beginning, God. Okay? In the beginning, God. Before there was anything created, there was God. God is unmade and uncreated. He has no underling. He is God. And God hasn't been someone who's been given birth to. He didn't give birth to creation. And God didn't beat up some other gods like we saw in some of our stories. He is God and there are no others. God is eternal. He has no beginning or end. God is God. There are no others. The whole purpose of Genesis chapter 1 is to tell us that God is God. No one else is God. There is only one God who made everything. There are no others. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is the creator. And this means that the very idea of the whole universe comes from God. Um, he didn't just sort of get through like a magazine of Argos. Of, oh, I like that universe. I'll choose that one. His, his very idea, the whole way the universe works, everything about it comes from God. It's his idea. It's as he wants it. And no one told him what would be good. He designed it and made it all. See, God creates everything, so everything in the whole universe has its source in God. Everything and everyone has their start point in God, because God is God. You see, there's not one bit of the universe of which God doesn't say, that belongs to me. It all belongs to him because he made it all. You see, the stars are his, the mountains are his, the sea is his, the plants are his, the animals are his, and we are his. We all belong to him because he made it. 
God is God and there are no others. There are no other gods. And just look at verse 3. We see here that God is God and he's immensely powerful. Verse 3, God said, let there be light and there was light. You see, if God is God, which is what this chapter is telling us, then when he speaks, we expect things to happen. That's exactly what it does. Let there be light, and there was light. And when God says it, it happens. When God speaks, the creation, the world he makes, obeys him. It's kind of hard to imagine power as big as this, isn't it? He speaks the very world into existence. Um, All the myths we looked at um, had these kind of little gods, if you like. Um, They say something, and then they have to have a scrap to get it to happen, don't they? And it takes a lot of pain and effort. Uh, but God, who is God, has no such trouble. He says it and it happens. No painful birth giving like Jenny Coldham. It just happens. God is God. But what I'd like us to do is to look up a few verses and see how we see that God is God from these verses. Um, so here's the verses. They're on the screen. And um, we're going to have five, maybe five, six, seven minutes in groups looking at those verses How do we see that God is God in those verses? Very simple. Uh, Let's go for it. Well, I hope you see that the... I I mean, maybe it was a bit tedious, but I hope you saw the pattern again and again and again. God speaks, and it was so. And it was so. And it was so. And it was so. All of creation responds to his voice. God speaks, creation listens and obeys. Just does it. Every time, just does it. And we were just talking, you know, the creation doesn't sort of weigh up the option, oh, that's an interesting point of view you've got there, God, about what I should do. Just does it. And one of the things I think we need to do is we need to look at the world around us and learn what it means to obey God's voice. And so we look at the world around us, and one of the ways it points us to God is because creation does what God says. Consider the rabbit. Okay, um, We've all heard the phrase, going at it like rabbits. Um, what does God say to, to animals in this? He says, go forth and multiply. And what does the rabbit do? It multiplies. There's loads of them. You can't stop them breeding. Rabbits obey the voice of their creator. Look at the trees. What does it do? They produce fruit. Creation hears God's voice and is far better at obeying it than we are. That's what creation does. It obeys the Lord's voice. God is God. Creation knows it and does what he says. God is powerful, isn't he? He's the creator. When he speaks, creation does his will, and it was so. And I love that bit in chapter 2, in verse 7. He breathed life. God is the life giver. He gives everything. But maybe you've got a question. Um, uh, God is God, but, but which God? I mean, there's lots of gods on display, aren't there? Um, We're told we've got lots of options, but which god is it? Well, um, just look in chapter 2 and verse 4. And this is what it says, chapter 2 and verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, at the start of chapter 2, it tells us which god is God. It is the Lord 
God, okay? In chapter one, God is referred to as just God, Elohim, which is the Hebrew, apparently. I've been learning a lot this week. You'll be pleased to know. Um, but here, we clarified which God it is. is Yahweh, Elohim, Lord God. Now, Yahweh, Yahweh, is a, a perhaps a word we're familiar with. So whenever you see Lord in capital letters in the Old Testament, that means Yahweh, the covenant God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God we see acting all the way through the Old Testament. God is God, and this God is the God of the Bible. No other God. God is God, and this is who he is. This is the promise-making God, the promise-keeping God, the God who has revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. This is the God who is personal and relational and has revealed himself. And that's my second point. And firstly, God is God. Secondly, God is relational. God is relational. See, many people, I reckon, see God as this kind of old man in the sky. Um, perhaps an unhappy, angry old man um, who is perhaps desperate for a bit of company. Um, so made the world, hoping for a few friends. Um, but that's not God. And God is not needy in any way. In one of our creation myths, there was a God who was a bit lonely and wanted some, made the world so he could have some friends. But that's not the God of the Bible at all. Um, our God is relational. In fact, God of the Bible, Yahweh God, is a relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. God is a relationship of three persons. That's who God is. Look, we see it right here in chapter one. And this is what's called the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Three persons, one God, united in complete love. But it's right here in Genesis chapter one, right at the start of the Bible. Just look with me, chapter one and verse 26. Uh, let me make this really clear to you. Okay, chapter one, verse 26. Then God said... Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Interesting. God's talking about himself in the plural, isn't he? Which is very interesting. And um, just verse 27. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God says... He makes God in, in our image, us. It's plural. And we're, what we're getting in here on chapter one of Genesis is a conversation between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We're hearing the Trinity speak. And God is in a relationship within himself. God is one and he is free. He's one God made of three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we can see that in the way he makes people. So just look at verse 27 again. He creates man, that's mankind, in his own image. That's kind of oneness idea, mankind as one. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. So you have mankind one, one thing, uh, but there are two male and female. You've got unity and diversity. Male and females, diversity, plurality. Mankind is one. It's written there even in the way God has made people. It reflects who God is. So just as there is one, mankind is one, it is also made up of men and women. And God is one made up of Father, Son, and Spirit. 
And so the creation of the universe is the plan and the action of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. God in free persons who exist in joyful, loving, and fulfilled relationship. You see, so God doesn't make the world because he's lonely in any way. He's not lonely at all. Father, Son, and Spirit in a wonderful community of love. He doesn't need to make anything. He's perfectly happy. He's not lonely at all. Father, Son, and Spirit get on like a house on fire. Uh, They know each other perfectly. God lacks nothing. So he doesn't need people for friends. He has incredible, intimate, deep friendship within himself between Father, Son, and Spirit. And God doesn't make the world because he's bored either. It's not like, oh, I've got a bit, God the Father says, oh, I'm a bit sick of the Son and the Spirit today. I need some more friends. Perfectly happy. This Trinity is the most fun place to po- you could possibly be. They never get bored of each other because they love each other so deeply. And God doesn't make the world because he wants to inflict pain on people, which is often what people think. No, God is love. We saw it in 1 John 1 John chapter 4, it says, God is love. Father, Son, and Spirit in total loving relationship. That's what he's like. And so this God decides to make people. So why does a God like this, Father, Son, and Spirit, who love each other, make anything at all? Well, why does God make the world? Answer, so that we can know him and enjoy his love. Why does God make the world? So people like me and you can know him and enjoy his love. That's why he makes the world, because God is relational. He makes the world so that we can relate to him, to know him and enjoy his love. Genesis chapter 2 is a picture of this God wanting to be in relationship with people. That's what it's all about. It's a God who wants us to experience his love. And so I think it's really clear here in these opening chapters of the Bible that God is a relational God. And he speaks the universe into existence, which is a very relational way of making stuff, isn't it? Speaking, communicating. God speaks on 14 occasions, I counted, in chapter 1 alone. Over 50% of the first chapter of the Bible is God speaking. God is relational. Um, Elfie talked last week how God forms the man with his hands, a relational way of creating. And God interacts with the animals in chapter 2, bringing them to Adam. And just look at chapter um, 1, verse 22. It says, God blessed them. He's speaking to the animals, to the, to the birds of the air, and officially, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. He even speaks to the animals, this God. And he speaks to the man and the woman, telling them to rule. He wants to be known and people to experience his love. And then take chapter 2 and verse 8. This is what God does. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And so chapter 2 is like a zoning in on on, uh, day 6 of creation. And he takes the man he's made and he places him in this special garden. Now all of creation is pretty incredible but he's got this special garden, okay? And so why does he place him in this special garden? Well, the answer is so that the man would know him and enjoy his love. Now, just look at chapter 3, verse 8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
the Lord God is in this garden walking around. That was their daily experience, Adam and Eve's daily experience of God. God's very presence in the garden with them. The garden is where God is. It's a wonderful place where Adam and Eve chill out with God. And you see, in in chapter 2, God looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And God knows that because he's not alone. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. He's in relationship. So he knows the terrible abandonment and what loneliness is like. He knows it's the most terrible thing, doesn't he? And indeed, one day, God the Son experiences terrible abandonment and loneliness on the cross. And we get a little hint of that here. And so what does God do? He sees it's not good for the man to be alone, so he makes Eve. And God brings all the animals to Adam. He's a servant God. He brings all the animals to Adam so he can name them. See, I think the Garden of Eden, chapter 2, is a wonderful picture of the relational, personal God revealing himself perfectly and clearly to Adam and Eve that they would know him and enjoy his love. That's exactly what's going on in chapter 2. Well, this is the relational God, and the God of relationship is in deep relationship with his people here in chapter 2 of Genesis. And it just sounds amazing. You read it, the, sound of the, the Lord walking in the garden, bringing the animals to Adam, talking to him, chatting to him, letting him rule the creation he's made for him. It's a wonderful, wonderful picture, isn't it? It's exciting. You want to be there, don't you? And it's, what it is, I think, is the best thing is that Adam and Eve have free and constant access to the God who made them. It's wonderful. Well, maybe you think some of the stuff I've said, I'm making it up. Uh, I don't want you to think that. So what we're going to do is go into groups now. And um, just to see that other bits of the Bible back up what I've been saying about God being Trinity. So um, ch- check out John chapter 1. Um, have an answer of those questions. Just five minutes. And then we'll come on to my last point. But I hope you're excited. Um, it's, um, it's such good news that God is like this because there is a God who made the whole universe who is God and there are no others and he wants to know me and he wants to know you and he wants us to enjoy his love that is the reason he made the whole world that's amazing isn't it to think there's a God who is there who wants to know me and wants me to enjoy his love um, so each one of us is incredibly special and valuable to God he made us so that we'd know him. I think that's incredible. Well, so far we've seen God is God. And God is relational. Um, but what's he like? What's his character? Well, God is good, isn't he? And God is very good. And when you make something, it reflects who you are. So I'm going to um, make a paper airplane before your very eyes. Um, and you'll see how it reflects my character very quickly, I'd imagine. Let me try and make this. It's going to sound good on the old podcast, just a bit of ruffling of paper. This one. Um, okay, for, I'll go for fairly basic because I think that probably does reflect me. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> Indeed. All right, there we go. A little bit of folding. I'm not very good at folding either. This paper airplane is going to reflect that as well. Okay. So here is my paper airplane, which does reflect me because I'm, I'm so lazy. I didn't even make one before I got up here, which is pretty lazy and disorganised. So that reflects who I am. Um, it's pretty dull, which, again, is quite similar to me looking. Um, let's see if it works, flying-wise. It's not quite going to get a look across the Atlantic, is it? Um, basically, uh, what we make reflects what we're like over it, doesn't it? That reflected my disorganisation, my dullness, and basically my rubbishness. It didn't really work very well, which is very much like me. Now, 
Um, the fact that God makes the world, it means the world reflects what he's like. Um, it reflects his wisdom, it reflects his power. Um, and the fact that God makes a world so full of life, again, reflects what he's like. He's relational. It, life it seems to be all about relationships, doesn't it? And uh, the repeated refrain that you get in chapter one is, God saw it and it was good. It's good. Let's do that again. And God saw all that he made and it was good. It was good. It was good. It comes in chapter 1, verse 10, and God saw that it was good. It comes in verse 12, and God saw that it was good. It comes in verse 18, and God saw that it was good. It comes in verse 21, and God saw that it was good. It comes in verse 25, and God saw that it was good. And let's all turn to it, end of chapter 1, verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to know you're with me. Um, The whole of creation at this point in history screams that God is good. It's the whole point of it. It screams about God's goodness. And these three chapters of the Bible are full of God's goodness. Absolutely full of God's goodness. Um, Now, Genesis is part of a whole five set book of um, the Pentateuch, which is full of five books. So it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, and in, Gen- um, in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6, it says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, um, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not let the guilty go unpunished. And that's who God is. That's what he's like. And I think we see all those things here in these first three chapters. And so I want us to see God's goodness in these first three chapters of the Bible. Um, so I've got a few um, questions with references. Um, maybe just pick out a couple of references for each one. Um, but I want us to see that the God um, who reveals himself in the Old Testament is right here in chapter one to three, showing what he's like already. Um, so let's spend, um, this will be quite quick, just uh, four minutes. Just pick up maybe one reference for each one of those things. And let's just see what God is like, whether what he says about himself in Exodus is true here in Genesis one to three. Okay, um, I hope you begin to see some of those things um, working out even in those first three chapters. Um, but God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Now, um, I guess many of you know that um, Julian and Beth Barber going to recently had a baby, haven't they? Little, little Brielle. It's cute, isn't it? Named after their favourite cheese and letter of the alphabet, which is um, excellent. <laughs> um, anyway, um, why did, they, why did um, Julian and Beth have a baby? Well, um, like our, our whole universe... Um, they made a baby out of love, for want of a better expression. Um, they made the baby out of love, out of love. <laughs> I won't go into too many more details, but um, you do the math. Um, but why does God make the world? Well, he's a relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit in complete love, and they want to share their love. And that's what Beth and Julian did when they made the baby. Um, and what have they done? Well, I bet if you went round to their flat, uh, to Beth and Julian's, you would see they've tried to make the house the most perfect place for little Brielle. Um, a place that's not just functional, so she gets everything she needs, but that is beautiful and exciting, which is just what we have here, isn't it? In Genesis, God makes this world which is functional, gives them everything they need, yet it's beautiful. There's gold and silver everywhere, and it looks pleasing to the eye. Everything is amazing, isn't it? That's what God does. And what do will Beth and Julian be doing? Well, they'll be serving little Brielle, won't they? Because she can't do anything for herself. And what do we see God doing in this chapter? He's serving Adam and Eve. He, Adam, he brings all the animals to Adam. He gives them everything they need. 
That's what God does. Um, and what will, will Beth and Julie do? Well, they'll, they'll make rules, won't they, uh, for little Brielle um, when she gets a bit older. And that's what God does in chapter two. He makes rules. Um, not oppressive rules, uh, but rules because um, God cares. Um, so when um, Beth and Julian tell little Brielle um, not to run into the road, they don't do that because they're horrible and vindictive and they don't want her to enjoy her freedom. They do it because they don't want her to die. And that's exactly the reason God makes the rule for them in chapter two. He says, don't eat from this tree because you will surely die if you eat from it. He does it for their good. He makes rules for their good. And I guess when Beth and Julian make rules for Brianna, when she breaks those rules, like all good parents, they will follow through on the consequences of breaking those rules. It's part of their goodness to Brielle that they enforce the rules and punish. And that's exactly what God does here in chapter 3. He's made the rule, they've broken it, and because he's consistent and good, he enforces the rules. He punishes. And not only that, um, Beth and Julian, when Brielle messes up and they punish her, they will also forgive her. And right at the end um, of chapter 3, we see what an amazing God we have. Um, he's a God who makes a promise that one day all bad stuff will be defeated. But also, even though they've thrown back in God's face this amazing place he's made, all his love, and they reject him, he still clothes them at the end. He covers their nakedness and shame. He forgives them. He's going to provide a way for them to come back into his presence again and enjoy it. Um, our God is God. He really did make the whole world. And without him, this, this whole of this world doesn't make any sense. It's true. God is God. Uh, God is relational. He makes the world so that we would know him and enjoy his love. And he's so good, isn't he? And we can get to be with this God forever if we trust in his son, Jesus. That's our God. Uh, I hope you're excited and you want to get to know him better. Um, so let me pray and then we're going to sing. And then it'll be time to enjoy our new jobs, which we've been given. Uh, let's pray. Um, God, you are amazing. Uh, you have made an amazing world. And you made it um, so that we would know you and enjoy your love. So far, I pray for each of us here that we would be excited about living in this, your world. And we'd be excited about getting to know you better and enjoying your love. Thank you that you're relational. Thank you that you're God. Thank you that you're good. Amen.